your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Ramsey gets the snap, looks left, holds, now steps up, puts a pass off to Watt. Fillers picks off, intercepted Alex Davis. Alex Davis gets the deflected ball, picks it off. Huskers have it at the 27-yard line. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Coming to you tonight from West Lafayette, Indiana, where tomorrow the Nebraska Cornhuskers will take on the Purdue Boilermakers in another Big Ten clash. Early start, 11 a.m. We'll be talking about the matchup throughout the program here tonight. We're uh, well, we're right at 12 hours away from the opening drive. It's not, not that we're keeping track of that, but when you have a short night, that's kind of what you do. Remarkably, just the second 11 a.m. kick of the year for the Big Red. They opened the season against South Alabama back on August 31st at 11, but have not had the 11 a.m. start until this week. Here's what we have coming up on the program tonight. We'll give you a sneak peek at tomorrow's Cornhusker conversation that airs during Husker game day. We focus in on place kicker Barrett Pickering, who made his debut in 2019 last week. Made all four of his extra points, one of two on field goals. Uh, so Barrett Pickering, the sophomore who made 10 straight field goals to end his freshman campaign, suffered a hip injury in August, and, boy, it took him a full two months to get himself back and on the field. Huskers certainly glad to have him back. So we'll let you listen in on part of that coming up a little bit later on in the hour. Hour number two, it is our Choices Treatment Center, Big Ten Picks of the Week. I, for one, was wretched last week. I hope to atone for that. This week on a skinny slate of games of the Big Ten Conference, only three other games besides Nebraska's game tomorrow for us to break down and talk about, but we'll have those for you at the top of hour number two. We'll sit down with Tim Newton, the play-by-play voice of the Purdue Boilermakers on the football side, get his take on this 2-6 and Boilermaker team that has just been decimated by injuries throughout the year. They lost their starting quarterback early in the season. Rondale Moore, their all-world wide receiver slash running back, kick returner he has not played since back in september they're missing a couple of their best defensive players as well so we'll get the full rundown from tim newton coming up in hour number two also friday nights we check in with ian rapaport of the nfl network we'll get the latest from what's happening around the league and maybe even a peek at the health status of patrick mahomes for saturday sunday's chiefs vikings matchup at Arrowhead. Third hour of the show, we'll have our weekend preview. We'll talk to Husker cross-country coach David Harris. The Huskers are headed to Columbus, Ohio, both the men and women for the Big Ten Championships on Sunday is when they'll run that meet. And we'll have our weekend review and our winners and losers for the week as well. And phone lines open for you at 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. Ben, we were getting some pictures from Mike Elliott, who travels ahead of us by a day to get the booth set up and the locker room connections ready for our post-game shows for tomorrow. He arrived at ross Stadium this morning at about 9 o'clock local time, and there was a fairly significant dusting of snow covering the playing surface. But then about three hours later, as he was wrapping up, putting uh, the booth together, he took another picture. The bright sunshine was out. The place looked pretty good. When we landed, it was pretty decent day here. Yeah, it was, and, and you know we were kind of joking that we should anyway we can get this kickoff moved up yeah. uh, about about twelve hours to to right now because uh, it's gonna be chilly tomorrow. But yeah, it was great weather here, and and that was a big concern of mine this week was after seeing that that game they had last week with Illinois. What kind of shape was that field gonna be in? Um, you know, to to not have the adequate time to to cure and the grounds crew to get that thing ready for playing shape again but it, it looked really good and i'm eager to get down there tomorrow and, and and see what it's like it's not one of the better playing surfaces in the lake grass field and but we've had some major injuries on this surface yeah demorde mm-hmm. uh, went down on a freak incident um and i just remember how chewed up the field got by the end of the game a, a couple of years ago um that's the thing about those there's always a lot of talk about Northwestern's field at Ryan Field, how how thick and tall the grass is. But that's the thing about these these you know very shortly mowed fields too. I mean, even Boulder to, was was similar. You know, you get that the very thin grass that's that's mowed real short, and and that's what happens is it comes up real easy, and you see guys, you know, with those with those uh, screw in cleats making cuts, and you're going to see chunks flying up everywhere. Uh, so yeah, that, that, I think that's definitely going to be a story tomorrow. Is is watching the footwork and the footing and 
you know, how, what type of shape that field's in by the end of the game tomorrow. Grass fields are really rare, aren't they? We don't see you don't see hardly any anymore in college football. I I, I mean I, I I think they look good. Yeah, and, and they it's you know it, it reminds you kind of what football used to be all about. But these questions get brought up every time we play on one of them, and uh, so many schools have just made the transition to the field turf to where it's not an issue. And yes, it's expensive and. But it's also maintenance-free, and that makes it a, a big appeal to a lot of people, especially in these cold climates. There are three currently in the Big Ten, Penn State here, and you mentioned Northwestern. Those are the three. Michigan State? Yeah, I think they are. They've gone back and forth. They used to have turf. I know they I, used to have the Astro turf. I think that you're right. I think they maybe are grass, yeah. so there are four. And we played at Colorado, who yep. had it earlier in the season. But it is rare. You're right. And all it takes is one game played – in the conditions of last week yeah. to just completely shatter a field. So you're, that'll be one of your first big reports for us tomorrow once you get down on the sidelines is what is it actually like down there? Well, and then it's it's not like spring and summertime in baseball when, you know, the conditions, you can water it and you can do all these different things to, to get it ready uh, and, and get it kind of rehabilitated. You know, this is this is cold temps and, you know, frozen ground and snow, and that doesn't make it – that's not the easiest – clay to work with when you're molding the field so yeah the, i hope the players are, are definitely testing their footwear out tomorrow yeah and that's that'll be a big part of the warm-ups for them is when they get there at the stadium to go out there and run around and see what they need to do and jay terry and the crew will have a ample uh, supply of shoes and spikes and all the type of footwear to make sure nebraska doesn't have any slipping we had a lot of slip in our last road game the minute the game in minneapolis they had we had it was kind of a heavy snow light rain it was just wet and their turf was put in over the summer and so it was really slick nebraska slipped four or five times in that game up in minneapolis well all signs continue to point to adrian martinez being the starting quarterback for the big red in this game tomorrow he has not played since the northwestern game so he missed the minnesota game we had the bye week then he missed the indiana game so uh, an apparent knee injury to him against the cats in the last husker win of the season so he has not played since then but uh, he met with the media on Tuesday. That was a tip-off to me. We talked about it on our JTEC practice report, that that was a bit of a tip-off to me that he was probably going to play. I don't know if they would have made Adrian available to play if he wasn't, or to talk to the media if he wasn't going to be able to play. Saw him on the plane. He's moving around decently. He's walking up and uh, down steps. But uh, I think this could be a nice shot in the arm for the Huskers tomorrow. Yeah, I think so. Uh, first of all, to me, uh, the, I I would have been surprised if they put Adrian in front of the media if he wasn't going to play. Um, that 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 to me was a was a giveaway that that he was rearing to go. And, and I and I'm I hope he's just that. I hope the time off served him well. I hope he's you know been chomping at the bit to get back on the field. Competition should make everybody better. And to see the guys behind him play as well as they have, I think probably motivated him, especially considering how. He has played when he's been out there, uh, definitely not to his standards or what everybody expected. So I hope I hope Adrian Martinez starts to come alive tomorrow and for the rest of the season because, you know, no Maurice Washington and banged up Wandale Robinson. You're starting to lose some weapons, and when you play those Wisconsin's and those Iowa's, you better have some firepower on offense. And I hope Adrian's motivated to play well tomorrow. I have a feeling he's going to, and, you know, just, just to – have him out there, come out with a win, and get on that plane. We'll have everybody feeling better about what's left of this season and, and trying to get that you know evasive sixth win and find a way to play in December sometime. How about Purdue, two and six? I think when we left Chicago in July, you felt like they were one of the five teams in the in the uh, well, maybe one of the six teams out of the West that could win it. We all had kind of dismissed Illinois, and they've certainly come on in the recent weeks. The injury certainly. KO'd their season. I'm sure Coach Brom, who inherited I'm sure this non-conference schedule, can't like the fact you open it in Nevada, and then you come back and you play a pretty sound TCU program, and then you play Vanderbilt out of the SEC. That's a really difficult non-conference schedule for a program that's trying to build itself yeah. up. Yeah, it is. And and to me, my, my suspicions of Purdue started creeping in my mind well before that that Nevada game but then watching them play against Nevada when they were full strength nonetheless I, I just had a feeling that they they weren't as far ahead as everybody said they they were and there were certain analysts on BTN that wanted to anoint them the the champs of the west and I 
it was inconceivable to me to find a path that that was the case yeah. for them. And, and to me, the curiosity with, with Jeff Brom and Purdue goes all the way back to last year, Greg. I mean, the, the, all of the uh, questions and, and adversity they faced late last year, you know, you, you thought it was – a lot of people just assumed it was the excuse of what's Jeff Brom going to do with his coaching career, and that was the distraction. That's what was keeping them from playing well. But even after the announcement of him coming back, they played horrible to end the year, and they got utterly embarrassed against Auburn. That's where my ears kind of perked up, and I go, what's going on here in West Lafayette? Uh, is is this team really you know, as good as we want to say they are earlier in the year? After they beat Ohio State, we wanted to just put the crown on them and say, here we go, this team's going to, you know, they've got a horse in the race in the West from here on out with Coach Brom and the offer landed in his lap to go to Louisville, go back home, and rumors of Rondale Moore following him there, if that was going to be the case. To me, there were just there were too many unanswered questions about them uh, that 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 had me curious about their predicament, and and yet here we are. They're two wins, two and six. I, I think they're kind of tapping on this season, which is which sounds weird to say with four games left, but. I think the injuries have just demoralized them. And, you know, I hope Nebraska comes in here with the attitude of putting on someone tomorrow. And, and I mean, I'll take a, a, a half-point win if that's what it takes. But the Huskers need to come with a little hunger, a little fire in the belly, and take advantage of a wounded animal. There are two wins over Vanderbilt here. and they, It was really bad. Yeah, they are, they've turned out to be really, really bad. And then Maryland here. They just jumped all over the Terps a couple of weeks ago here at Ross-Aid Stadium. Let me make this comparison, too. They opened the season at Nevada. They had, a, I think it was a 31-14 lead late third quarter, mm-hmm. and they lose. A little bit like what happens to Nebraska the next week in Boulder when Nebraska had a 17 nothing lead late third quarter, and they lose. Those kind of losses early in the year can really stunt your growth. I think it certainly has for Nebraska, and obviously it, it was a bad way to start the year for Purdue. Well, I think it's a decent correlation because think, think about Purdue. That's a team that's having to figure out how to win, right? And, and that loss, without a doubt, jolted them and shocked them. And I don't think that's entirely dissimilar to Nebraska, you know, and, and, and so much doubt starts creeping in. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a more than fair comparison of, of where Purdue is and trying to win with a new coach, establishing culture, winning football, uh, you know, all that same type of stuff that we've been hearing around, around here in Lincoln. And I, I'm anxious to hear from some Purdue uh, folks tomorrow kind of about, about their assessment of the season and where they're at. Um, because I think they, I think it's possible for Brom. I think he's a great offensive coach, and you know, I feel like everything that you could say about Purdue, if you substitute the name Brom with Frost and Purdue with Nebraska, I don't know that you're going to be that far off. Good point. They do like some of their young freshmen. The Bell kids are really good wide receiver. Would have been a great compliment to Rondale Moore if he had been healthy. And Karloftis, the defensive end, who. Grew up in Lafayette. Five-star grew up right here in Lafayette. Chose this. He's had a big impact on their defense already. He is a huge star in the making for Purdue. So they like kind of where they're headed. They're just trying to get through this season with all the injuries that have really KO'd uh, their 2019 season. Let's get the hour started off with our Big Ten predictions presented by Choices Treatment Center, helping people make positive choices. Nate Rohr with us for this one, live and in person. In color, live and in person. That's right. Welcome to the program, Nate. Ah, glad to be here. Happy to be here. Happy to be in beautiful West Lafayette, Indiana. Beautiful. Garden spot. Oh. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, Josh, give us the bad news, or at least for me. I was, yeah, was going to say, it's, it's bad news for some of us. And most of us got at least one wrong. It's actually funny. So I was terrible. Brett Brett's didn't want to go on air for this, but he's the only one that got every single pick right this last wow. week. Wow. So he can't. He he didn't even want to go on and brag about it. But uh, Greg, you were three of seven last week. Ben four of seven. Nate five of seven, and I also was five of seven. So, um, the, the Nate Nate's scratching and clawing back into right. this thing, exactly. hanging in this thing. Nate, you uh you got the Illinois pick right. You were the only one of the four of us doing this segment to get that right. I believe in Lovey Smith. I believed in Rutgers. I got that one right. Oh, I was oh, Brett I and I were the only ones that, that picked Rutgers, so there you go. And then uh Greg, you were the only one that picked Michigan State, and so you got that one wrong. Um and Boy. Yeah. Badly. So there you go. Uh so that 
giving an update on the season totals. It's uh, Ben and Nate tied for first place. You caught him. 57 of 68. And then, Greg, you and I are tied for second place, 54 of 68. So we're three back. We've got some work to do. Mm, no this doubt. is not a good week to, to make up ground. No, there. Yeah, there's not a lot of games here. We still have four weeks left. Yes. So we still have some time to, to, to make some ground up here. Let's, let's start with the 11 o'clock game, Michigan at Maryland. Uh, first place, Nate Rohr, you could uh, pick this one first. <laughs> I am not as compelled by Michigan's win over Notre Dame as some people are. I thought, you know, Notre Dame was a little shoddy in their run defense, and Michigan just buckled down with it and committed to the run and and rode their run game to a big win over Notre Dame. That said, this one's pretty simple. Michigan's better than Maryland. I think Maryland's just about done for this year. Gimme maize and blow. Yeah, the uh, Turtles are having a hard time staying afloat right now they're just they're, they're not they're not playing well um uh, whatever air was in that balloon at the beginning of the year uh, that that balloon has deflated yep. and uh luckily for for us we get to play them at the end of the year not the beginning of the year mm-hmm. i'm taking go blue all right yeah i the thing is if if michigan had gotten blown out last week by notre dame then maybe i'd give the terps a fighting chance here but with that said, they Michigan is is playing well right now, and Maryland, like you guys said, are going the opposite direction. So give me give me the blue. Maryland last week loses to the Gophers, fifty-two to ten. A Wolverine would munch up a Gopher. <laughs> so this is going to be ugly tomorrow. Michigan rolls. I'm bullish on the blue. I think they found something. I think they're going to be a real test for Ohio State at the end of the year. Mm. I'm not willing to go that far yet. I I think there was just a fatal flaw with Notre Dame and Michigan. To their credit, exploited it. I don't know that that's enough to propel them against Ohio State. Anybody else with picks, Josh, that we need to work uh, in here? Nope, nobody else got their picks in. Austin uh, All right. is, is more focused Slacker. on the scoreboard show later. Yeah. So. Slacking Sorry. off. All right, Ben, you get this one. Rutgers travels to Illinois. Lovey Smith's team has won back-to-back Big Ten games. Can they make it three straight? Back-to-back-to-back. And this is uh, more of an indictment on Rutgers than it is Illinois. Yeah. Rutgers is coming off of a win. Yes. I, I well, I've said this for, I think, seven straight weeks now, mm-hmm. maybe eight, that I'm not going to pick Rutgers to win another game. And this falls in line. <laughs> I'm not turning back on my word. Uh, the one win against the Liberty Flames will not do enough for them. They're, they're in trouble. Yeah. And they're very bad. Imagine if, if Illinois hadn't won their last two games, if they had lost their last two games instead, and they were coming into this game against Rutgers. This would have been up there for the, one of the worst – games in the big 10 this season but what's the line Do we know that's a good question i i looked at it earlier this week and i feel like it was illinois by double digits for 10, sure but yeah maybe. something like that um but yeah I'm, I'm going illinois as well i'm not picking records for the second straight week it worked out for me once and i i'm smart enough not to go back to that well so <laughs> illinois Rutgers gets that second. 20 it's 20 for illinois Whoa. When yeah. was the last time the Fighting Illini were a 20-point favorite on the road in the Big Ten, in in the Big Ten game? Uh, I got to imagine Jeff George was slinging <laughs> the pig around the last time that happened. Illinois is a team that lost earlier this year at home to Eastern Michigan. Yep. Eastern Michigan went in there and beat Lovey Smith's beard in the Illini in that game. Rutgers isn't as good as Eastern Michigan. Illinois wins this game. I don't know that they cover the 20, but they win the game. I'm drinking the Lovey Smith Kool-Aid. Not only do they win, they cover. Rutgers is a bleeping high school team. <laughs> okay. Well, what does that make Liberty? Worse. <laughs> <laughs> not as good. <laughs> they, 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 be, they needed hospital beds for the rest of the team and not just Hugh Freeze. Oh, boy. All right, Josh, you get to finish it off in yeah. a skimpy schedule. Northwestern, a night game in Bloomington down the road from where we are in West Lafayette. The Cats have just been wretched on offense. How about Northwestern traveling to Indiana? Yeah, this is this is the one game that I looked at this week that was like, okay, this is the opportunity to pick an upset. I wasn't going to pick Michigan over Maryland. not going to pick Illinois over Rutgers. Uh, last I looked, this one was, was also double digits, but the lowest line, I think somewhere around 10 or 11, and I, but I just can't do it. I, it, it's Indiana has been playing too well. Nebraska saw it last week. They're they're a solid team and they don't make a lot of mistakes. Whereas Northwestern, they're just 
they're like you said, Greg, they just cannot move the ball offensively. And so Indiana, they, I don't, I don't even think this is going to be a defensive slugfest like it would have been in, in past years with, with Indiana and their defense. They, they can score the ball now. And I think that they're going to have no problems shutting, shutting the cats offense down. So give me Indiana by probably covering that line of 10 or 11. How about Northwestern's one and six? We, Defending, best, defending Big Ten West champs. How about that? One and six. They'll be one and seven after tomorrow night's game. Indiana wins it. Indiana is going to be seven and two, Nate Roar. You know what? I like them a lot. I liked what Tom Allen did coming into this year. So I, I guess I'm not so surprised. Seven and two after this one, maybe a little surprised, but I thought they would be at least a bowl team this year. But, yeah, they win tomorrow, and I think they cover the number. Northwestern's offense is awful. <laughs> I am, I, I'm, I'm not quite to the Rutgers logic on Northwestern of not picking them the rest of the year, but I'm getting there. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just hard for me to imagine. It's hard to imagine them winning a football game with that offense, you know, and they're not dynamic enough on, on defense or special teams to win a game by scoring points there. So, yeah, give me the Hoosiers. Just can't score. You can't score, you can't win. No. I, I like Josh dropping in, score the ball with Indiana, though it's football. That's a basketball phrase. Yeah, it is. It is, but it's kind of appropriate here. It works. Yeah, very much so. I am very confident I'm going to go three for three this week. Are you? Perfect. The, You're going to go perfect. Perfect this week. I'm feeling pretty good. Feeling good. Was anybody different? No. No. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. No No ground will be made up either Can way. Can I change though. my mind and pick Rutgers? Yes, if you want. Yeah, go ahead, Ben. I, <laughs> Do it. Go, please. I beg you. You know, they need somebody to be in their corner. Why not you, Ben? Yeah, I, I am not in their corner. All right, before we let you loose, and you'll be with me in the opening drive in about uh, 11 hours, just your thoughts about this one tomorrow. I think it's pretty easy for Nebraska. Just protect the ball, do what you do offensively. Because, you know, we're talking about how does Northwestern move the ball? How do these guys move the ball? Especially assuming Rondale Moore is not out there, you feel like the Huskers can handle Bell okay. The quarterback doesn't scare you. They have absolutely no running game. So as long as you don't give them short fields, they're not going to score. And that defense is so beat up. You will. So just do not turn the daggum ball over. Nebraska will be fine. Hopefully Martinez is out there, and it's a chance for him to get back in a rhythm for a big three-game stretch. All right. Hang around a while. We'll go to get some dinner. I like that. I like dinner. Okay. Very good. Half-price apps after nine. I like dinner, too. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Purdue has really had a tough year record-wise, but a lot of that record is because of all the injuries, and we're delighted to be joined now by the play-by-play -play voice of the Purdue football team, Tim Newton. Tim, great to have you with us. My goodness, uh, I just cannot imagine the injury list and what that has done to this football team this fall. Well, Greg, first of all, I blame myself for this because I set the tone. I was in a cast this summer for a month, and I think that just permeated <laughs> through this football team. Uh, you know, if you were to say at the beginning of the season, and this is before the season starts, so you, I'm going to take David Bell and George Karloftis, who have both been tremendous out. And you say, who are Purdue's five best players? You got Rondale Moore, Elijah Sindelar, Bryson Hopkins, Lorenzo Neal, and Marcus Bailey. Well, right now, one of those five guys is playing. And when you've got a program that's in rebuilding mode, as Purdue is right now under Jeff Brom, uh, you just can't afford to lose your top tier talent. And uh, that's been a problem. The depth is not to where it needs to be, where you can lose that kind of talent. Uh, they had a tough loss early this year to start the season. They had a 17-point lead against Nevada late in the third quarter and wound up losing that game. And, and then the, the play up front on both sides on the offensive and defensive lines have been a problem. You combine all those things, and as the great philosopher Bill Parcells once said, you are what your record says you are, and right now produce two and six. The, the, the Sindelar injury happened in September, and so Jack Plummer has had a good run at that. Tell me about his, as you viewed it, his strengths, and, and where does he still need to grow as a quarterback? Well, he's still pretty young. He's a redshirt freshman. He's a really bright kid, and you talk about his strengths. He's really a smart young man. He's, he's in the management school at Purdue, and he had a perfect 4.0 grade point average his first year. Uh, he reminds you, even though he's physically bigger, he's six foot five, two twenty. 
the way he moves in the pocket reminds you a little bit of Drew Brees. Now, you know, you start making comparisons and people kind of roll their eyes, but um, he has a, he has the ability to see and feel where the rush is coming from for the most part. Uh, he's athletic enough that he can make some guys miss and, and be a little bit elusive. Uh, the downside is just the inexperience, and, and um, sometimes he'll lock in, as, as young quarterbacks do, he'll lock in on a guy or he'll hold the ball too long. Uh, there are times that he needs to tuck it right away and run. But for the most part, I think he's done what you would ask a redshirt freshman to do. He's thrown nine touchdown passes in his starts, and um, he, he's, he has the ability to make all the throws. It's just right now he needs to get more plays and more experience under his belt. Not a lot in the running game. And last year, D.J. Knox and Markel Jones were both really solid Big Ten backs. That part just hasn't come yet, has it? No, it hasn't. And, and I think if you were to ask Jeff – the biggest concern right now, it's the ability up front to move guys off the ball, to, to get, just get that punch and that push up front. They've been decent in pass protection. You know, in the eight games, Purdue's given up 20 sacks, but 10 of those were in one game against Penn State. So the other seven games, they've only given up 10 sacks. But they have not been able to establish any kind of a running game. Uh, they changed starters. They have three new starters from when the season began. And they're just trying to find the right combination. But that certainly is a unit that right now is is in development. And as a result, the running game has suffered. They do have a really talented, true freshman, a kid named King Daru from Amarillo, Texas, that I think has the potential to be a, a, a big play guy. But he just hasn't had a whole lot of room this this year to run. You mentioned the, the, the Rondale Moore injury. I mean, he's clearly one of the better players in all of college football. To have him out is just uh, a, a knee buckler for this team. But David Bell has certainly jumped onto the scene, a young freshman wide receiver. Talk about him a little bit. Well, David Bell was a kid that everybody wanted. Uh, you know, Ohio State and uh, the big boys in the SEC all came after him, and he decided to stay in-state. He's from Indianapolis. He played on the state champion Warren Central, and they played in the big school division here in Indiana. And um, he was injured in training camp, missed a lot of time, was really behind the eight ball when the season started, but he has come on, leads the team in receptions with 44 catches, but I think more than anything else, probably got the best set of hands that I've seen, uh, and this is my fifth decade starting to cover Purdue football. Uh, he has an incredible ability to go up and catch the 50-50 ball. He was an outstanding basketball player in high school, and I think that success on the basketball court in terms of rebounding and knowing how to position your body has paid off because you'll see sometimes they'll just throw the ball up and give him a chance and more often than not he'll come out with the football busy again with tim newton play-by-play voice for purdue let's go to defense a little bit tim and you know you don't have o'neill has not played marcus bailey a tremendous linebacker has been out most of the year where are they defensively in your eyes well, they're, again, they're a work in process right now. And, and at times, the running uh, defenses, the rush defenses has failed, and at times, the passing defense. And, and you don't know which is going to be which. As an example, the Minnesota game. Now, the Gophers, we know, have one of the best ground attacks in the Big Ten, but they came into Ross 8, and, and Tanner Morgan looked like uh, Johnny Unitas and Joe Montana rolled into one. He was 21 of 22 for almost 400 yards. And, and they were throws, frankly, that I think you and I could have made because he had guys running wide open all day long. So um, they've had a hard time getting a consistent pass rush. That's been an issue. Uh, they've been weak inside. I think the defensive tackles have been a real weakness. Uh, teams are exploiting them, running straight up the middle. And uh, then again, the, the secondary has been hot and cold. The one guy that's been a plus, and I think the, the star in the making on that side is the true freshman, George Karloff. This is a kid from literally right across the street here in West Lafayette. He's got six sacks, 12 and a half tackles for loss, and he just turned 18 over the summer, so it's kind of scary to think with a couple more years in the weight room and a little bit more experience. He's only been playing football since he was 13 years old. He actually grew up in Greece, and the family moved here when he was 13, so uh, he's got a real high upside, but he's already a pretty talented football player. Tim, how are the fans handling the season? Your crowds have been really good. I know their expectations were high coming off the Music City Bowl appearance and keeping Coach Brom uh, in West Lafayette. There was a lot of momentum. How, how have the fans handled all the, the, the problems so far this fall? Well, I think so far so good. Now, we've got two home games left. We've got today's game and then the old Oak and Bucket game to finish the season. But the attendance has been up again this year. Uh, Purdue's been, and I know it's not Nebraska standards, but Purdue's been 50,000-plus in every game so far. And the fans have, even in last week's horrible weather against Illinois, we had a good turnout 
in the stands. I think they understand the roster issues right now, and you go back to the last days of Daryl Hazel and the poor recruiting classes that were brought in, particularly late in his tenure. Those have really started to manifest here, especially in the offensive line and the defensive line. I think people are patient to a point. Uh, They understand that Jeff is trying to build this and he's got to get a couple more recruiting classes in. But I do think 2020 becomes really important. Uh, Depending on how this year ends, you've got four games left to try to build some momentum, and it's still mathematically possible to get to a bowl. But I think people want to see improvement. They want to see at least a couple of wins, and they want to see some hope for, okay, I can see what this team can do now with a few more parts added, and we can make a run at it in 2020. Tim, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for giving us a great update on Purdue. And we've given you at least a non-rainy conditions today. So, I, you know, we're trying to do our part to make the visitors feel at home here at Ross-Aid Stadium. Greg Sharp, Ben McLaughlin, back with you each Friday night. We'd like to check in on what's going to be happening in the upcoming weekend for the National Football League. I think your boy Ian's ready to roll. He always is ready to roll. An interesting game last night between uh, the Cardinals and the 49ers. 49ers remain undefeated. Ian, I, I, I kind of keep waiting for the 49ers to let me down, but – they just haven't. They're really good. I mean, not only are they really looking good, but they look good, I feel like, in a way where they sort of needed to, right? I mean, we know their defense is good. Now, they didn't play great yesterday. Uh, I do think that, you know, Kyler Murray probably presents a lot of frustrating situations for defenses. So, like, that's not totally surprising. They didn't play great. They give up a huge play on that Andy Isabella uh, touchdown, the 88-yarder or whatever that was. Um, so, you know, saw some cracks in the defense and whatever. But to see Jimmy Garoppolo play like that, I think, was something where I said, like, all right, maybe this is a team that actually does have it in all phases. Because, you know, they've kind of got it done running the ball and playing defense. Garoppolo has been okay. um, But if he's going to kind of emerge and continue to play like last night, it obviously changed everything for them, and they become a really well-rounded team. What is it about their offense that's so good? I mean, they're running – like, Matt Breed is a, a solid back. No one's really ever heard of him before this year coming from Georgia Southern. They signed Tevin Coleman, and you're like, okay, that's just a guy. You know, maybe like you thought the Jarek McKinnon sign would be. George Kittle is emerging as an elite tight end. Um, you know, Dante Pettis is just, just a dude. Well, you know, what, what, what makes this offense so difficult? Is it personnel or scheme or both? Uh, I think it's scheme. You know, I mean – it's they do an incredible job, and this has always been a Kyle Shanahan thing. He does an incredible job of getting fast people space to be fast. You know, um, it is uh, it, it is really fascinating to kind of see how he does it because he really does take just guys and you know turn them into into weapons, and that's why it's been crazy. Like they, you know, they lost Jared McKinnon should have been their starting running back. Um, but he's injured, and so they get, like, Raheem Mostert, mm-hmm. who plays some running back, and whenever he does for them is incredibly effective. You know, and I would say it's sort of similar to what the Cardinals did with um, with Kenyon Drake, is they get him in space, and all of a sudden a guy who hadn't been productive is incredibly productive. Guys who can scheme it up are really impressive. Yeah, and, and then defensively, you know, to cap it all off, the, they had a great defense a few years ago, but to, to try and turn that around and rebuild – when you look within the structure of that defense, is that is that unit good enough to take them, you know, to the NFC title or even a Super Bowl? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I really think so. I mean, what they do up front is so impressive. The different variety of pass rushers, they can get you inside and outside. They can cover. All of a sudden, they get interceptions now, which they used to not do that. They got some veterans back there who are savvy. I mean, to me. I would say absolutely yes. And the fact that their coordinator is, you know, a young up-and-coming dude who uh, probably will be in consideration for a head coaching job, I think that probably helps as well. Go to the other sideline and talk about Arizona. Really just a, a crazy off season for them. You go hire Cliff Kingsbury, a lot of people confused by the hire. And then and then they, they the whole thing about doubling down on Josh Rosen, trade him to Miami, get Kyler Murray. Let's just start with this. How much patience do do fans of Arizona and management have with Arizona right now, considering where they're at in their process? See, I think they have enough patience, right? Because you know they they won three in a row. They kind of have had flashes where you're like, "Man, Kyler is good." 
You know, like he looks like he's good sometimes. And I think last night, I mean, he, you know, he's so fast. He had that kind of end around sweep or whatever that was where he ran like 20 yards and you're like, this guy is talented, you know? So I think there's moments with Kyler um, where you really feel like this guy's going to be a star. And they made the move. They drafted him. They hired Cliff. They obviously have problems all over the roster, but they've done enough to be competitive and be in games where if you're a fan, you can say, all right, look, they're not going to make the playoffs this year. That's okay. But I see the promise in this organization. I think that's kind of where, um, I think that's kind of where Cardinals fans probably should be. Are you surprised at all the level of competitiveness and just overall balance and skill of that division, the NFC West? Well, yeah, because the Cardinals weren't supposed to be this good, and they're not good. But they're probably, you know, they're probably the worst team in the division. But they still could kind of beat anyone, you know. Like, and that's what makes it. That's really what makes a good division is when your bad team is not terrible. Um, I think the Seahawks are awesome. Russell Wilson's playing as well as he has. They are balanced. They can run the heck out of the ball. Um, I think the Seahawks are great. The 49ers are what they are. Um, you know, I think the, the Cardinals, uh, we talked about that. And then the Rams, you know, are having what you might call a down year, and they still got a chance for everything they want. They still went into their bye totally in a fine place. I forget what they are, but, um, you know, they're, I think, five, four and three or five and three. And, you know, it's – it is possible. I mean, I, my guess is we're going to have two playoff teams from that division alone at the least. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely a division that has caught me by surprise, and and, and it probably shouldn't because of the level yeah. of play that is that that is in that division. Talk with Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network and NFL.com. Well, uh, I can't wait any longer. Lamar Jackson against this Patriots defense. I, I'm salivating over this. Is this a true test to see? you know, kind of where both teams are at, a good measuring stick for that Patriots defense as well as, as how Lamar, how good is Lamar Jackson? See, I would say I know Lamar Jackson is good, and I believe they're a playoff team. And I think, you know, are they going to be um, – I mean, I, they're probably the, team that, <clears throat> probably the team that wins that division. I think that's probably pretty – so, like, you know, to me, the Ravens will be like a three or four seed, and they'll have a chance at a playoff win, and we'll see what else. I'm more curious about the Patriots because, obviously, they've been great. They've been undefeated. They have not really played that many really good competitive teams. Like, for a team that we all assume is great, they haven't really played very many people. And this defense is definitely awesome. Don't get me wrong. They have been great. But they haven't really been challenged either. So, I'm more – the Ravens, to me, like, if they lose, I'll say, okay, like, the Ravens are good, but they're not as good as the Patriots. That's fine. Whatever. It's more like, what if the Patriots lose? Because if they do, then it really makes you think, like, huh, like, how good were they this whole time? Or was it – were they really just pretty good and they sort of hadn't played anyone? That's kind of where I'm wondering. That's a that's a great, great thought. I, I hadn't really thought of it that way. Uh, let's go back to the NFC here for a second. Which team has puzzled you more – the teams, the teams playing each other in this matchup, the Bears or the Eagles? <laughs> no, well, the Eagles, I understand why they are where they are. Yeah. They've had a lot of problems on the back end. They signed or, no, traded for Deshaun Jackson, and he's been injured the whole time. Carson's been fine, but they've kind of been shuffling running backs. You know, I mean, they Eagles are, I think they're going to be good down the stretch, but I think they are what they are. Um the Bears are the one where I'm still trying to figure it out. And they have stuck behind Mitch Trubisky at every point. At every single point, they have stuck behind Trubisky. But their defense isn't as good as last year. They are not running the ball well at all. They're just not. Um, and so it's really just like, was last year a mirage? I, to have people question Matt Nagy's play calling is so interesting to me. Because last year, all the same people talked about how great he is. So which was right? One of those was right, but which was right? Yeah. I think that's kind of where I'm curious because I still have no earthly idea what the Bears are. And it's pretty clear they're not the team that's going to be there at the end, which is what we all thought yeah. at the beginning of the year. Man, this, yeah, well said. I, I, I completely agree. It's been a, a huge, huge mystery as what's been happening in Cleveland. Can they turn this thing around or 
you, you said they are what they are to, to Philadelphia. Is that what Cleveland is? Are, are they what, are they the two and five team we've seen, or do they have a little higher ceiling than what we're seeing right now? I think they have a higher ceiling. No way do I think that Baker Mayfield just goes from being, you know, really good up and coming hotshot superstar quarterback to one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. No way. I mean, Freddie Kitchens called a great game last year, did a great job calling plays and steadying. And this year he, he doesn't know how to do it. You know, I just, to me, I think they will get better. I think they will figure it out. Uh, I do not think this is going to be the team that, I don't think they're going to be the team that we've seen this year. I do think they're going to be a team with a first-year head coach, with a new coordinator. They're going to get better. I really and firmly believe that. If they don't, though, then they're definitely going to be one of the really interesting teams to watch because, you know, what kind of changes do they make after the season? I mean, that's that's definitely something to consider. All right, Ian, give me a Mahomes update before I cut you loose. Where's he at? What do the Chiefs want to do with him here in the next foreseeable future? Well, he practiced a little bit this week. Seemed like he was getting the number two reps behind Matt Moore. So that's kind of seemed like it was, that was the direction it was going. Um you know, my guess is he probably doesn't play this week. We'll see what he's listed as, but my guess is it's probably next week. And if that's the case, that's incredible because that means he only will have missed two games, which is great. So he'll be out three weeks, miss two games. And, you know, from what looks like at the time, a horrific, horrific injury, um, it's going to be probably best-case scenario for the Kansas City Chiefs, regardless of whether he plays this week or next. Yeah, you would have told me three weeks out of signed on the dotted line right there. Ian Rappaport, the NFL no Network doubt. and NFL.com. Ian, we appreciate it, man. Thanks for giving us the time, as always. We really do appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care, man. Always enjoy it. Ian Rappaport, the NFL Network and NFL.com, joining us each and every Friday here on Sports Nightly. Yeah, man, yeah, you talk about Mahomes being out three weeks. It's it's. I wish he was back now, but I would much rather have him back in three weeks than in three years. Yeah, I bet he dresses Sunday. Do you? Probably doesn't play. Yeah, I bet it, was, he it, was, it was. It was. It did kind of hurt the heart a little bit seeing it, him stand on the sideline and sweats. Yep. But if he's getting the number two reps, you got to think maybe he plays or he's getting close, available to play. They start more of it, you know. Yeah, so we'll see. Oscar football team in West Lafayette getting set to take on Purdue. The Husker cross-country teams, men and women, headed to Columbus, Ohio for the Big Ten Championships on Sunday. Joining us now is Husker coach David Harris. Coach, appreciate the time. Uh, you're kind of getting toward the very end of your season, so give us kind of a feel for how the, the season has gone for the Husker Harriers. Well, it's gone really well. Uh, we've kind of moved up in the regional rankings, the NCAA Midwest Regional throughout the the season, um, we kind of started with some low-key meets and had our home meet in September uh, at the same course that we hosted the Big Ten last year, and then we finished our regular season with the Pre-Nats Invitational out in Terre Haute, Indiana, and they host the NCAA Championships this fall, so uh, we wanted to get our team out there, and, and that was definitely a high, high-level meet, so now we're ready to turn our attention to the three championship meets at the end of the season. How how much do you do you ramp up the training, or how do you get the athlete to be performing at maybe their optimal level at the end of your cross country season? Is there a process to that as you go through September and October? Well, yeah, Greg, it's a lot of work. We put in a lot of work. Uh, we're really trying in 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 the summer, and as they come in in August to have a really good aerobic background, which is to do a lot of runs in the summers, slower mileage, I guess I would say. And then as we get into the season, we're doing a lot more race pace repetitions, mile repeats, thousand meter repeats, uh, some tempo runs, and just all kinds of variety of training. But it's all designed to really get ready to run very, very fast the end of October, 1st of November, um, and I think we're I think we're in pretty good shape. I, I really do. I think uh, we stayed away from some injuries, um, especially with the men's team. Uh, the women's team has a few freshmen that are that are out uh, in that transition season of trying to to get up to the training level that this requires. 
Visiting with Nebraska cross-country coach David Harris, Husker set to go to Columbus, Ohio, Sunday for the Big Ten Championships. Your last meet was in Terre Haute. It was the pre-nationals, and your women finished third. Let's talk about the women's team a little bit. Uh, Erica Freihoff uh, did a great job in that meet for you, and that Freihoff family has been so big to Husker cross-country and track and field down through the years. Talk about the way the women competed in that meet and what, uh, what you're expecting out of that group on Sunday. Well, the women actually, they got third, but it wasn't the top race there. So it was a secondary race. Uh, we did beat some good teams. We beat Kansas. Uh, we did very well. But we weren't running against the very top ones in the nation. So uh, as a little bit of a misnomer in terms of the level that we competed at, we've got three really solid runners. Uh, Erica, of course, you mentioned, and then Judy Jones and Elsa Forsberg from uh, right here in Lincoln. And you know, they have led us all year. Uh, we're back a little ways to the fourth and fifth runners, but they've been coming on and they've been getting better. And I guess our goal would be to try to be in the top 10 at the big 10. Uh, we haven't done that, uh, in the league. So we really want to try to get in the single digits if possible. All right, let's go to the men's side. George Kusha has been an amazing athlete for Nebraska now a sophomore, but had a record setting in a lot of ways, freshman year for Nebraska. How's George been competing and your thoughts about him as you get ready for big tens? Well, George has really competed well this year. We've we've really kept his meets down. He's only competed in two. He had an outstanding summer. He he put the work in this summer that probably the previous summer he hadn't done. And so it's made a big difference. Uh, I would say that George, based on the pre-Nats finish of fifth in that race, which is against the Colorado runners, the BYU runners, some of the top runners in the nation, um, he's going to be he's going to be fighting for a Big Ten championship, uh, fighting for a regional championship, and on to the Nationals. Uh, he was 55th last year at the Nationals. He's in much better shape. I think he's got a chance to be in the top 20, maybe even top 10, if it would go well. But, I mean, we got to concentrate this weekend. He's going to run up against a guy from Wisconsin who was uh, second in the race last year here in Lincoln when we hosted the Big Ten. George was third. The winner from Wisconsin is gone. He's a professional athlete now and uh, out outstanding uh, man in, in the world-class scene. But George knows that uh, Oliver Hoare from Wisconsin will be his competition, and it's going to be a great race. There's a couple Indiana guys that will be right there too. So, But I think George will be in it the whole way. Coach, tell us a little bit about the rest of the men's squad that will be competing for you on Sunday. Well, the men have really been coming along this year. I think that we've got – more of a veteran crew. Uh, Mark Fryoff uh, is is a junior. Jordan Despong is a senior. Carson LeCompte is a senior. So we've got some veteran leadership. I think it's showing. Uh, I think that we got to put it together. I felt like at the pre-nats that uh, George and Ryan Martins, who is a sophomore, uh, had probably the best races of the season for them. And uh, the other three, I think, can run better. So as a coach, I feel good that we haven't hit our top race yet. Uh, we're going to need to hit that in order to move up in the Big Ten, which we were eighth last year. We've come up one position the last four years, and we'd, we'd like to be higher than seventh, but seventh would continue that string. But we ultimately would like to see if we can be in the top five, but it's not going to be easy. There's a lot of Big Ten teams that are ranked in the nation. All right, uh, Columbus, Ohio, have you been on this course? Have any of your athletes run this course? No, we didn't go to their meet earlier in the season. It was actually the same weekend as our home meet. Um, so we, we've heard it's uh, very flat. It's got one, one kind of dip in it. Uh, and, and it should be a fast course. Uh, I, I see 40 degrees. You know, they're going to get some of the weather we have now and kind of move in, but – It'll be a great day for cross-country, and, and we're really looking forward to it. Very good. Well, the Huskers will be competing on Sunday at the Big Ten Championships in Columbus, Ohio. It's a late morning start back in Columbus. Coach Harris, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Best of luck to the Big Red. We'll be tracking those results on Sunday. Thanks a lot, Greg. It's all right. Time for this week's Winners and Losers. Josh, lead us off. All right. Sounds good. I'm going to go to soccer for my winner, and uh, this is kind of a, a weird way of going about it, but Southampton – uh, lost nine nothing to Leicester. Uh, not a not a good game for them. But afterwards, they were so embarrassed. The players and coaches, everybody involved in the team, decided to donate their pay from the game to charity. So they they were so embarrassed. They're like, we don't even deserve to get paid. So I, 
in, in an era or a time where everybody's entitled and and you you know people are getting paid a lot at least they admitted that they weren't deserving of what they of what they were getting paid decided to donate to charity and i feel like fans were were very willing to uh to accept that at least at yeah. least for now until they lose nine nothing again but that was a, yeah that was that was a losing performance turned winning performance exactly good job good job southampton um my loser is pretty simple it's andy dalton bengals are zero and eight uh this season as him being their quarterback he's also uh being benched in favor of rookie ryan finley as we found out earlier this week so for a guy who's he's 32 so he's still pretty much in his prime he He's started 128 games. He has over 30,000 passing yards, and yet he's he's uh, he's not good. So I, he's not the only problem on that team, obviously. But he's also on my fantasy team, so he can. Where's Ryan Finley from? NC State, right? I was gonna say NC State, I think. Okay. Yeah, Andy Red Rifle Dalton. His days may be numbered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Am I next? You lead us off. All right. Um, all right, I'm going with my winner. Freddie Freeman uh, was out trick-or-treating in the Atlanta Saw area that. yesterday <laughs> and took his youngster out. There's a little boy dressed just as Freddie Freeman. He walks up to him and goes, hey, are you me for Halloween? He goes, <laughs> and the kid goes, yep. And he's like, all right. Want pics? I wear the same, I wear the same uh, number on my uniform. You want to take a picture? Freddie Freeman and his wife are hilarious on yeah. Twitter. They're the most down-to-earth people ever. Uh, oh, I just love that so much. My loser, I'm going... To a team that won last night, Georgia Southern. There's a video clip uh, as App State's driving in the f- late in the fourth quarter to try and t- tie the game uh, of two players standing upright, looking to the sideline, and both of them just fall and fake injury. <laughs> I don't know if they faked. They look like they were cramping up. Any? Why would you do that? You gave the other team a chance to set their play. It stopped I mean, the clock. They're literally just and they fall at the exact same time. So to me, someone on the sides telling them to get down, get down. Could be. Uh, that's my loser of the week are these all these players that are dropping right now in college football. The worst was the Auburn kid yeah. last week. That was absolutely a joke. We all saw what happened here. So, yeah, that's my loser too. Not good. Okay. All right, my winner for the week, I'm going the city of Washington, D.C. Not only did they get a Stanley Cup champion two years ago, now they have a World Series champion in the Nationals. What a run by that baseball team. The way they were able to put that thing together was remarkable, how they uh, were able to fire their way through those playoffs. Down to their final four outs against the Brewers in the wild card mm-hmm. game. Congrats to those guys. Yeah, great run by all of those guys. Uh, we have time to tell you that... If I can find it here, fill up your fridge with pre-cut veggies and keep canned tuna in the pantry for some quick protein. Today's Healthy Husker Tip brought to you by United Healthcare and the Real Appeal program. Learn more at realappeal.com. We are nine hours away from the opening drive. Thanks to Ben and to Josh, all of you for listening tonight. Have a great night.